0: Welcome to Menu Stories, a podcast where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love, starting with San Francisco. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. Today we're featuring a special two-part series for episodes 24 and 25 to celebrate our 25th episode. The two restaurants are sisters from power couple David Lawrence and Moneta White, 1300 on Fillmore, and the new Black Bark Barbecue. David Lawrence is executive chef of both restaurants, but recently brought in chef Jake Whitlock to take the reins at 1300 Fillmore. Both restaurants are relatively new. 1300 on Fillmore opened in 2007, and Black Bark Barbecue opened just a few months ago, but they play a significant role in preserving the history of the Fillmore Jazz District through food. The historically black neighborhood was once the home of jazz greats. But the area crumbled after a post-World War II development project took much too long to build and displaced many of the neighborhood's long-standing residents. The city of San Francisco and local businesses like the two restaurants we meet today have spent recent years making an effort to revive the neighborhood and bring back its rich history. The effort is becoming ever more difficult amidst the rising conflict of the recent tech boom and outlandish living costs. Still, 1,300 Fillmore and Black Bark Barbecue are thriving and are committed to bringing great food and gathering places to the residents of the Fillmore District. In episode 24, we meet Chef Jake Whitlock, learn about his upbringing in California, and get introduced to the original concept of 1300 on Fillmore. Let's have a listen. We are here at 1300 Fillmore with Chef Jake Whitlock. Howdy. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. So in your own words, can you describe what 1300 Fillmore is?
1: Uh, 1300 Fillmore, um, just a great local spot. They've been here for about eight years. A uh, lot of outreach. There's a lot of community work. Uh, David and Moneta are the owners. They're amazing people. They're very involved in the community and I think this is a huge community spot. A lot of people look to this as like an example of what people in this community can do and it's really a highlight of everywhere. They have Black Bark across the street and they're just an awesome couple. They're like a power couple. They, <laughs> they do a lot of amazing stuff for this community. And it's, it's really, the outreach alone brings people in, and those returning customers are just in love with 1300. Yeah. And it's great to be part of that family. Like I stepped in and I already had this awesome client base because Dave and I have been here for eight years, just killing it and doing great things for this community. So it was really awesome just to step into that family.
0: Yeah, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Manteca, California. It's about an hour and 15 minutes east of here, some of the best soil in the world. Like Growing up in that area, I feel really blessed to be able to be that close to all these amazing farms, and get all these amazing produce, and at a young age be able to just see what amazing produce was, as opposed to like, a lot of people don't get to see that. Yeah. A lot of people don't even have the access to that kind of produce, which I just feel really lucky to grow up in California. Right. So that's, uh, that's awesome.
0: So what brought you to San Francisco?
1: I fell in love with San Francisco at a young age. We would come in for, you know, here and there for friends' birthdays or stuff like that. A huge thing I used to do was my dad and me would take a day and we'd come in and go get a bread bowl of clam chowder and, you know, just have, you know, me and my dad day and I just fell in love with it. I I knew I wanted to live here. I knew I wanted to get to here somehow and it took a while but, you know, at like 18 I moved out to San Francisco.
0: It's pretty young. like in a traditional childhood, I guess that's like as early as you can probably do that. Yeah, so. pretty much. <laughs> so it's pretty, um, yeah, you got to it pretty quick. What, uh, did you have anything in particular you were coming out here for, or you just sort of packed your bags and... I
1: actually, so I played drums for a really long time. I was cool. uh, a musician, toward, and I came out here to go to Expressions uh uh, college in Emeryville it's uh, like sound recording and a bunch of music arts and stuff like that, and <laughs> that quickly changed, and I just started working in uh, kitchens and stuff like that so um, I was either always gonna be cooking or musician, but uh cooking uh, took first seat so
0: what um what ha- like what happened that made you make that transition then
1: mostly it was just because. I needed to to live, so (laughs) you got to start working, and then I fell into, you know, kitchen jobs, and I just, you know, at a young age, I knew I loved cooking, and it was just natural. I just fell into those roles and and just ran with it.
0: Where did you, what was the first restaurant you worked here? Actually,
1: I went through the back door, and I actually ended up uh, apprenticing in a butcher shop. Uh, The Bristol Farms that opened up a long time ago, they had... In the very beginning they had an r- amazing butcher shop with some awesome butchers that they've kind of recruited from all over the country and i got to actually work there and apprenticed and i learned an amazing amount of stuff um the guys there really took me under their wing and taught me everything and you know gave me a little bit more responsibility and i um, it was my first taste of like working in that environment mm-hmm. uh, and i loved it like that's but one of the bigger things is butchery and that is very dear to my heart
0: what do you think about working in a butcher shop touched something in in your heart as you say
1: i think the like mentality of like using all the animal and like not wasting and talking to my grandma where she grew up like they didn't have an abundance of food so you don't waste food mm-hmm. you use anything you can and that kind of like was solidified later when i got to work uh, at different restaurants where the no-waste mentality was a huge part of it so just using the whole animal and using every part of it, and nothing goes to waste. Like it, That's a beautiful thing to me, and it's really respecting the animals in the same sense. So that was one thing that really was heavy on me, and I just really loved knives, and <laughs> working with the animals and, uh, in that sense. They're not alive or anything, but yeah. <laughs> working with them. I don't know, it's just it just was really natural. I just w- fell into that, and I was just good at it, and I kind of ran with it, and it was just something that really clicked.
0: You mentioned that you liked cooking a lot as a as a young child. Mm-hmm. Um, what was uh, what were your some of your first memories cooking, and what were some of your first memories with food?
1: I kind of took over the cooking in my household because my mom bless her heart was very busy and not really the best cook. <laughs> that <laughs> happens a lot. It, it does. I'm it's it's <laughs> it, it, in the beginning. It's more survival. I was, just, I was just being like, yeah, we're hungry, so let's. Yeah. You know, I'll take over. I got it. Actually, the, the first time I was, I think I fired my mom from cooking for the household is when she gave me and my sister's Hormel's canned tamales. Yeah, it's not great. They're like Vienna like, yeah. sausages style. Oh, yeah. looks, they're terrible. <laughs> I didn't even know they made those until my mom um, somehow found them and tried to serve them to me and my sister. I was like, nope, we're good. Yeah. I'll, I'll take over <laughs> from here on out.
0: Are you the oldest?
1: Um, I have an older brother, um, and I have two younger sisters. Um, they're twins. And oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, so I kind of took over, and my mom said it was weird. I was garnishing things at, like, eight and <laughs> doing <laughs> little designs on the plate, and she's like, yeah, you were weird. <laughs> I was like, eh, I loved what I did. And I who I knew what I was going to come, but it worked out. <laughs>
0: yeah. What were some of the dishes that you would make for your brothers and sisters?
1: Um, my sisters got the brunt of it. They, got, they were guinea pigs, so I <laughs> would play around a lot. At the beginning, it was just, like, whatever we had in the cupboard, so it could have been, like, Oh, I mixed 10 different styles of beans, and it was like, not great. But <laughs> I was just experimenting at a young age. I was just reading labels and what, what, what would this taste like? What would that taste like? So in the beginning it was a lot of just me making weird bean dips and stuff like that. <laughs> but then it kind of got into like, oh, I could use proteins and cook. And I remember I just loved grilling steaks. Like <laughs> I would like a 10 year old just being like, I'm going to grill steaks for the family tonight. And my <laughs> mom was like, what? Why? What? Where'd you get those? <laughs> <laughs> where, would
0: you, where would you get them? <laughs>
1: <laughs> to be honest, I, I don't know where they came from either. They're just in the freezer. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't anyone else's, but I would just, all the time, just something. You know, My mom would come home and be like, why is the charcoal barbecue going? I was like, oh, I'm going to cook this for the family tonight. And she's like, oh, this is weird, but okay. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she got a free meal out of it, so.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she wasn't complaining. Yeah. What was the first job you had in the restaurant industry here that, made you realize you were doing this as a career now?
1: Bless you, Market and Bakery was my first like kind of kitchen job um, I did that directly after Bristol Farms and it was a little bit different, it was not the not it, there wasn't a straight line, it was kind of uh, like a hot line and um, it was my first real kitchen job where I got all the way up from a line cook and I got to a sous chef position um, Yeah, the, when I really like started focusing was when I started working at Ichi Sushi. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Working underneath Tim Archuleta and learning just discipline and just respect of food and he really instilled some awesome things in me and I wholeheartedly because that stuck with me my entire career and really gave me that different perspective that I didn't have as a young cook and yeah it's taken me a long way when I really started focusing was that that apprenticeship underneath Tim Archuleta so that was when I really was like this is my life. This is what I'm going to be doing. So that was
0: awesome. So we actually had uh, we actually had Tim and Erin of Itchy Sushi and mm-hmm. um, Itchy Kakia on Menu Stories. It's kind of neat to have um, it's kind of neat to have the connection points we in yeah, on this show. What is it about your experience with with Itchy Sushi that you think has really stuck with you throughout all of throughout what you do now and throughout all of subsequent roles that you've had
1: <laughs> early on when i started apprenticing there tim being very strict in the sense where like i couldn't learn other things until he taught me how to do one thing and do it really well uh not quite perfection but uh, i had to have my head wrapped around those tasks in the very beginning i was just washing rice for a really long time and it was crazy to sit there and we'd get slammed and i didn't know anything yet and i couldn't help him but he really wanted to instill it this way and I really thank him for that because it was probably the, one of the most intense but one of the greatest experience of my colonial career because I got to watch him and he was amazing he, when he was by himself in the very beginning of EG. I can do anything. I watched him just get crushed and I was just standing there and I was like, what can I do? What can I do? And then slowly but surely I worked hard and I you know did everything he asked and I slowly was able to start doing things to help him and actually get things done. And Then you know, later down the road, I'm doing everything. Gary, all the roles, everything that is uh, served by Ichi Sushi, I was actually able to do. And then he gave me more uh, responsibilities. And it was just an awesome process. And I wouldn't have done it any other way. And the way he structured it really kind of gave me a great foundation uh, as a cook. Um, really stepped on all that. He really shaped and molded me in a certain direction and let me go. So uh, pretty, pretty much wound me up and let me you know, go on my own at, at some point. So that was a really cool process and that is something that is instilled with me forever. So thanks, Tim. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. Uh, where, so where did you, uh, you go after your, your time at Ichi Sushi?
1: So, I actually went over to a restaurant for a little bit called La Chichia, which is a sardine restaurant. I actually got really sick, so I had to step down from everything and actually stopped cooking for almost a year. Um, so yeah, the guy that introduced me to Tim, its kind of a weird scenario, so I was at Delessio's Market and Bakery and the guy that took over as the chef uh, was named Will Brunk and he took over. And he, when he left, um, I was like, I don't want to stay here if you're leaving. And he's like, I got a job for you. He introduced me to Tim. I was working with Tim for uh, a few years, and then uh, I got sick. And then the same guy was in L.A. doing a restaurant. And he's like, hey, I just had a baby. Uh, I'm looking for someone to come out and help me out. And I was like, sure, I need to get back in the kitchen, get back in fighting, if you will. We'll get back into that train, trained mode of thought, like I needed to get
0: your back,
1: my groove back in a sense. Um, so I went down there, help him out and um, yeah, I just, it's called New Hall Refinery down in the Santa Cruz area and helped him kind of restructure that restaurant when we, I first got there. there. There's not a lot of line cooks in that area. There's not a lot of um, that style of skill. So we kind of built that restaurant from scratch and it's still a really awesome restaurant out there and successful and they're doing a great job and uh, it's really cool to see where it was and what it became yeah and uh did that eventually took over as the cdc there and kind of ran with it um and then after a while just kind of you know feeling like i needed a change then um, got in contact with uh, david lawrence at 1300 and we set this up so i came out here for a weekend a little tasting with him and basically hired me on the spot so uh,
0: so uh, what so you had 1300 in mind or how did you uh, how did you know that this was the right next step for you
1: um we got in contact with each other and i i ended up having like a phone interview with david and he's like when can you come out here and you know cook and i was like i don't really know because you know i was in l.a and i was like that's a five-hour drive and i was still had stuff going on and i just uh, said it let's go and me and I all girl up, came down and did the tasting. She actually had an interview the exact same day, so we kind of the jobs that we're both working now, we, we got that's those amazing. day that day.
0: But uh, never happens, so that's yeah. great, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so it was like, okay, so we're both good, let's go, let's get out of here. So moving back into the city was always, you know, something I want to do, um, but I wasn't ready to get back in there until I, you know, had a couple of years of something else in my boat, and but I did that and then. I was ready to get back into the to the hustle and bustle of the city and i was stoked to be here this place is amazing beautiful space and uh, it was a great opportunity so i jumped on it
0: so i mean you had a pretty we've had a pretty um wild trajectory i guess of the type of food you've <laughs> been cooking. all over the place yeah that's pretty I, I can imagine that would be pretty difficult especially especially after having spoken with chef tim <laughs> um i know that sushi takes a long time to really perfect they say 10 home. years to
1: learn it 10 years to master it wow came nowhere near that right so you know.
0: <laughs> well so, i mean i'm sure you were well on your way but um but then you know cooking a little bit spending a little bit of time with italian style food and then yeah. california now here you're doing southern cooking mm-hmm. what has that been like
1: uh just jumping around and then getting into the, um, i think i identify with southern cooking than most um manteca not being quite the south but it felt like it in a sense
0: yeah it was david at the time who is still the executive chef was he bringing somebody on because that's when he was planning on opening a new yeah pretty much so like
1: the mindset was kind of give um 1300 a different perspective he was about to do black bark across the street and he wanted someone to kind of you know take over take the restaurant in a little bit of a different direction. Um, uh, David is an amazing chef. He worked for the Rue Brothers at La Garage in France. It's a three mission start restaurant. And he was at, I think, a CDC there for a while. Um, so he has an amazing like French technique. And I'm just kind of like this kid that likes to experiment with food and <laughs> has no formal training. And just really put my nose to the grind and worked uh, my way up. Uh, did it at you know, the School of Knoxway way. Like, Never went to culinary school, just got lucky to get underneath some amazing chefs and kind of jump jump at any chance and any opportunity I had. So when like his amazing like structure and mission star like structure of a restaurant and my whimsical like, Oh, let me be an artist kind of crap. <laughs> Uh, came together it was kind of a beautiful thing because he's, he's an amazing chef and learning all these really old-school like French butchery techniques that like are awesome it, it was uh, kind of a beautiful harmony if you will um, but yeah he brought me into kind of like you know mix things up a little bit um, he's been here for eight years and he's doing Black bark and this is always going to be his baby his restaurant he told me the only two things I couldn't touch were the fried chicken and the triple grits and I respectfully went absolutely that's done and done so, uh, but he gave me free uh, range to do everything else on the menu, so it's been a lot of fun. Um, a fine balance of uh, appeasing the old customers and keeping them happy, but you know, attracting a new audience and getting uh, a, a little bit of a more diverse clientele here. Um, so that's what he kind of brought me in to do. And I'm um, uh, in the works of that. <laughs>
0: This is Rebecca Goberstein, and you're listening to Menu Stories, a podcast where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. We'll be right back with Chef Jake Whitlock of 1300 on Fillmore, the first of a special two-part series celebrating our 25th episode.
1: I didn't necessarily like put things on the menu to like draw on a certain like demographic or anything like that. I just looked at it from the standpoint of getting back to the roots of what southern food is, letting the product speak for itself, uh, not going over the top, not you know, adding too much. Uh, southern food is simple. It's it's hospitality at its finest. It's sharing. It's a very intimate meal. It's one of the most amazing meals you could ever have. if You go to uh, a southern household they they make you a meal that's going to be one of your favorite and best meals you've ever had and it's just a mindset it's not just the food it's an experience you go there and you have that southern hospitality and that's what we're really trying to instill in this restaurant is just having that that comfort and obviously that's where comfort food comes from so didn't change it up too crazy but like just getting back to what they eat, like hop and john is a, a huge comfort food um christy pig here they pickle a ton of stuff it's like just getting back to what they really did and that's what the food tastes like and i want that to be brought to san francisco like i want people to taste what grandma's cooking was like those grits that you know you've tasted and you're like they're just grits but they're the most amazing creamy thing i've ever had that's it. and it's simple it's not over the top it's not too decadent it's just a simple grit and that's Something that I really like to watch people eat because they love grits here, and, and it's one of my favorite things. When people are like, "These I've never had grits like this," and it's like, "Yeah, they're just you know amazing white corn grits." Yeah. So.
0: Can you describe um, what low country is? That's how that's how the menus described um, by thirteen hundred on you know your yeah, website. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, <laughs> well, low country, uh, uh, South Carolina area. It's just like the uh, like heavily seafood based. It's so the surrounding areas and, and South Carolina kind of had a lot of slave trade in that time. So all the food that was cooked and all those methods and stuff like that were coming from like Africa and the Senegal areas and like Jamaica. And like they brought over seeds. They brought over picking techniques. They brought over all this knowledge of a different style of cooking that people have never seen in the United States. And that's who was cooking all these meals for whoever was there. So fortunately, slave trade happened. But um, the food that came uh, along with it uh, it just really shaped what southern food is. Mm-hmm. Um, that wouldn't be the same without that. Uh, all those amazing recipes and stuff like that. Uh, it's just pretty intense how it came about, but like, it's one of the cooler things that um, I've gotten to learn about. Is just like all these food that they brought up, like the techniques that they have in like the Senegal area, and how they like dry fish out. This preservation. It was all about preservation because it was all about we need to stock up now because winter's coming and we got nothing. Mm-hmm. So, it's all pickling, preservation, um, smoking, all those different techniques to kind of preserve food. And that's what, like, the whole winter years, the southern food, you don't get those flavors in the wintertime without having all those pickles done in the summer. So, all that food that's been pickled and canned, that's all your winter food. That's all your vegetables for that time. So, getting back to that is, uh, is awesome. But um, that's really what is shaping this style of food mm-hmm. is, is those techniques that come from... Senegal came from Jamaica and just uh, kind of meshed together and a lot of the seeds that are out there like they came from somewhere and right. they were brought in, so like the okras and the eggplants and all those things. A lot of people think of southern food as like fried chicken and stuff like that, but the vegetables mm-hmm. are way bigger of a part of what southern cooking is than anything else. The grits, all those things corn they uh that 's really what southern cooking is about without that the southern cooking would it would just be fried chicken and stuff like that like yeah, they, yeah. the proteins are or an afterthought compared to what they used to do with all those different preserves and stuff like that. So that's kind of like what we're trying to uh, reinstill uh, in 1300 and just kind of showcase that and show the area what what it really can be and not just, you know, it's not just fried chicken.
0: To that end, this this neighborhood, the Fillmore Jazz District, Mm -hmm. um, has changed a lot over the last few decades. Yeah. um, Especially this last decade the last two i would say e- even in the six months that you've been here have you noticed any changes or have oh, you know what what's it what's it been like and what's your observation i guess is i mean since like yoshi's has been closed yeah yoshi's
1: been closed but since i've been here uh a few months i have uh why sun's la opened up uh, black mark opened up a lot of stuffs. I know a lot of people that are looking at this area as like it's about to really explode and i think it's awesome this area deserves it these people in this area haven't had much of anything for a really long time i mean they had a mcdonald's on the street but now they're getting really awesome um thought-out restaurants that people want to you know showcase uh food and healthier food and and, you know this this area really needed something because it was just kind of dying it was just existing and now it has life again um, and moving forward, I can't wait to see where it goes. Uh, a lot of stuff going in. I know that Yoshi's is going to turn into something soon. When that happens, I'm excited to see all the new foot traffic. And you know, There's so much potential in this area. There's a lot of foot traffic, but people just, I felt, for a while, are just tired of you know, what was around here because there wasn't a whole lot to offer. So moving forward, I really think this, this area is going to be awesome. I mean, This area, uh, Fillmore, is about to explode, and I'm excited to be a part of it.
0: And State Bird Provisions is just Absolutely. down the block. Yeah, they've been here for a while, Dosa. but the
1: progress just opened up. So there's a ton of heavy hitters in this area right now, and I, it, it's just going to get better. There's a lot of open real estate right here, and I know that people are just going to start pouncing on it. And uh, I think this area is going to really have some amazing stuff in the near future.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Um, this is one of my favorite neighborhoods.
1: Absolutely. I mean, just the like the rich history of just like all the jazz that was here and just like like all those pictures that are on the wall, like it's just so much history and uh, giving the film art a little bit more life again is probably one of the coolest things I've been a part of, so yeah. I'm excited to see all the, the new exciting things in this film area.
0: What's been the most challenging thing in, in your career so far and in, in the last six months in particular?
1: Most challenging is that fine balance of keeping uh, you know, returning customers and and the existing customers happy, and the the bringing in the new customers. It's um, it's fine balance because you know all of San Francisco is a completely different like mindset nowadays. Um, there's a ridiculous amount of money in this area, and like you're really close to a lot of Hayes Valley, Western Addition, Pack Heights area. And there's a ton of money around us, but we want to keep this approachable. The people around here are the neighborhood is what we're um, wanting to keep consistent, wanting those people to be happy. Uh, we want to make it less of a destination, more of like a neighborhood spot. So that's the biggest challenge is this is a beautiful space and sometimes almost uh, kind of hard to uh, make it approachable. Mm-hmm. So it is so decadent, it's, it's gorgeous, grand. it's grand. It's You don't see restaurants like this built anymore. And um, the approachability of it, it was a little rough. So getting people to kind of realize this this is just a neighborhood spot, come have a cocktail, you can have a special dinner, but also I want you to to come and just have some happy hours and some snacks and a beer after work. Um, So turning that leaf and making it a a lot more approachable has been the biggest challenge, but I think it's paying off tenfold.
0: That's great. Yeah. What's been the most rewarding thing?
1: I mean, just making people happy is, is what we love to do. We're in the service industry and it's rewarding to see people having a great experience, regardless if they like the food. Just having a special moment here, and they chose here to come. Um, is one of my favorite things to see people you know, celebrating life and, and enjoying food. Having a meal is one of the most intimate, intimate things you could do. And they came here to you know, eat food that we prepared. And I love that concept, just full circle. Just I love what I do. They come and eat it. It's just a beautiful thing to me. Every day I'm rewarded because I get to see people smiling and laughing and having a good time and enjoying food, which is what I
0: love to do. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Now, let's meet David Lawrence, executive chef owner of 1300 on Fillmore and Blackbark Barbecue, in episode 25. While you get episode 25 lined up, subscribe to Menu Stories on menustories.com so you can get all the episodes delivered to your inbox. You can listen on our website, iTunes, and SoundCloud, and be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to Siska Marcus, Menu Stories editor and producer, and Patrick Wong, our videographer. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. We hope you enjoy this special two-part series. Episode 25 is coming next.